This is episode two of the Remix Your World podcast with Russell Roybal. Welcome to Remix Your World. I'm Allison Kalagna, global DJ and music producer turned life remixer and personal growth coach. In each episode, we bring you real talk, inspiring stories, and heartfelt conversations of personal transformation to help you uplift and amplify your life. This is the Remix Your World podcast. What's up, world? Welcome to episode two. I am Allison Kalagna, and you are listening to the Remix Your World podcast. I'm ridiculously excited to introduce my guest for you today on the show. I've had some unbelievable conversations with him on and off the dance floor, and he's very near and dear to my heart. And if you are any way, shape or form connected to me musically, or you travel the country doing circuit parties, you most likely know who Russell Roybal is, or as some of the people like to call him, Miss Circuit Supreme. Just a heads up, you will hear me talk a lot about meditation. If it is something that you are interested in and you're looking for a way to kind of deepen your practice or maybe even begin a meditation practice, I have an exclusive offer for you. I have something that I produced called the Mindful Mixtape, which has got five guided meditations led by me, all put to music. So if you're interested in downloading this, text the words meditate now, all one word, to 44222, and I will send that mindful mixtape to you right away. You can also find it on remixyourworld.com. Yo, check this out. Russell Roybal is Chief Advancement Officer of San Francisco AIDS Foundation and works alongside the organization's development, marketing, and communications and AIDS lifecycle teams. He leads the fundraising, communications, and branding efforts that resource the organization's programmatic efforts and advance the mission of the foundation. Previously, Roybal was the National LGBTQ Task Force Deputy Executive Director. The task force advances full freedom, justice, and equality for LGBTQ people. Roybal has served on the staff of the Gill Foundation, the National Latina and Latino LGBT Organization, the San Diego LGBT Center, and San Diego Pride. He was honored by the California LGBT Legislative Caucus as a Pride honoree in 2017 and was named Grand Marshal of the San Diego LGBT Pride Celebration the same year. He is also a recipient of the Harvey Milk Equality Award, the Jose Julio Saria Civil Rights Award, and was the inaugural recipient of the League of the United Latin American Citizens Equality Award. His activism is rooted in his family's tradition of public service and pursuit of social justice. Roybal was born in Hollywood and grew up in La Puente, California. When not working, you can find him underwater, scuba diving, or living his life on the dance floor. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, yeah! Woo! I'm excited! Circuit Supreme is in the building. Well, you know, she tries. <laughs> All right, well, welcome. No stranger. You know how much I love you and I love our conversations, I especially. I, I love and adore you. Yes, and our, our conversations in Mexico, which 
was really close for us in our yard bird conversation. So that's why I wanted to have you on the show because we always have really good talks. Yep. So we're just going to jump on in because everybody, awesome. everybody gets the same questions, but nobody has the same answers. So great. Well, I, I would hope not. <laughs> Are you ready to play? I am. I'm so ready. So let's rewind the record. Where does the journey that has brought you to where you are today begin? Hmm. That is a great uh, question. Um, I mean, I, I I thought a lot about this and the different um, practices or trainings or leadership development stuff I've been in. And, um, I mean, I guess it, so uh, let me start at the present. So mm -hmm. I, um, I don't ever want to be at a place where I can't be my full self, mm. whether that's at work, at home, like playing, like playtime or whatever it is. One time I always want to be all of who I am, um, wherever I'm at. And, um, it has been a struggle sometimes to find those places, uh, in particular in my professional life. Mm. Um, but I, when I finally got to a place where I felt all of that, I never wanted to go back. Mm. Yeah. I wanted to be all of who I was, um, all of the time. And that was a very, um, it was hard to get there, uh, because, uh, as much as people may sometimes say that they want you to be exactly who you are, my experience is a lot of them don't mean it. They want them to, they want you to be exactly who you are, whatever they're comfortable with. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, I, I'm outrageous. I'm loud. I'm super queer. Um, I'm Chicano. I'm all of these things. I come from a working class background. I love to dance, as you know and have seen. Um, but the um, I like to be all of those things and be outrageous and you know put on a dress if I want to put on a dress and lip sync to Whitney Houston, which I just did a couple of weeks ago, and I made the most tips. Um, oh, <laughs> I'll send you the video. Uh, you know, or like be at the Witcher party on the beach and wear a giant hat and like just be there and having fun with friends and chosen family. And I think the, you know, I've always been an extrovert, um, although I do like spending a lot of time by myself. But I think the thing that has been really um, interesting to me has been like where that comes from as I like kind of dig deep around that is, uh, you know, uh, growing up, um, I always noticed when people were, shamed or called out or ridiculed because they were a little different. Mm. Um, and when you know, part of the thing that drives my passion around working in LGBTQ rights or working in HIV uh, is that it is important to me to create spaces where people can be exactly who they want to be. Yeah. And that that should be celebrated. And I think that 
having been told um, since, you know, I can't remember a day growing up in school that I didn't get called a fag. Like mm-hmm. I've never been able to hide who I am. You know, people are like, well, why can't you just act straight? Or why can't you just like tone it down? Like, well, I can't, that's not me. Yeah. Um, my voice has always been high, right? My, I've always had a little swish in my walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is, that's just who I am. And you know, when I finally was able to have a platform for all of that, I thought to myself, I'm going to be as outrageous and as queer as I can be because I want to create room for other people to be exactly who it is that they want to be. And in doing that, I have liberated myself mm-hmm. and the way that I think about myself, the way that I operate in the world, because... Um, you know, not only is it me trying to create space for other people to be exactly who they are, but for me, it's just, it's been who I am and, and to kind of embrace and love all of that about myself, which, you know, it took some time to get there. I didn't, you know, I didn't always think that. And, um, you know, just in my own journey to where I'm at now, I, I needed to be in that place and, and for others to push that and to encourage me and um, to say that I could do the things that I never thought I could do. I, I live in San Francisco now. I worked at an amazing agency called the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. I worked at an amazing place called the National LGBTQ Task Force where I was deputy executive director. I ran one of the best parties in the world Um and the, the, the most amazing conference in the U.S. called Creating Change, the party being Winter Party. Um, and I can't imagine not doing any of those things, not being myself. Mm. Yeah. So. That's beautiful. Can you think of a time when there was a, like a, maybe a breakdown before that all happened, before you realized, wow, you know, this, I got to remix something. Something's not right. And I really need to change directions. Oh, sure. Um, you know, I, I thought I was going to work at a university the rest of my life, that mm-hmm. I was going to, that I was on a track to work in higher education and that I'd work in student activities or housing and residential life. And I went to this training in 1995 that the task force put on. It was the very first youth leadership training that they did. I was 23. Um, and they selected 25 people from all over the country to come. And that week, you know, out of the thousands of applicants and that week literally transformed my life. Mm. Like it, it remixed my life in a way that I will be forever and eternally grateful to the task force for creating that opportunity for me. I was with 24 other young activists who I was like, for the first time, I didn't feel alone. Mm. I didn't feel like I was, um, uh, I didn't feel like I was different. Um, I felt like I was unique and that that uniqueness should be celebrated. It is where I had been, I had come out already, but it is where really I transformed or remixed my uh, own identity around being queer. Mm. Uh, and that how much more expansive to me the identification of being queer was to just being gay. And I know that sounds weird, right? Like for people like, well, what do you mean with just being gay? <laughs> but it, to me, it was this like, 
it just transformed the way I thought of myself and the way that I saw myself in the world. And it made me want to do this work. Like I realized in that week that I could dedicate my life. Like I felt a calling. Like Mm. I really felt a calling and that I could dedicate myself to this, my life to this work um, and that I can make a career of it. And I have, and I've never looked back and it, that I will forever be grateful for that week. In fact, right. I keep a picture on my desk and I have ever since 1995 of my cohort from that, from that week. And it has been with me ever since then. And it reminds me every day why I do this work. Wow. That's amazing. You know, it's, it's bizarre. It's amazing to hear you talk about this, about the queerness, because you are the one who helps me to see my queerness from our conversation. And like, cause I was like, I remember it was you, Alex and I having yeah. turkey it burgers back in the day. And when I was eating turkey burgers and yard <laughs> and I was like, talk to me about the queue, you know, tell me. And like the way that you described it and you, your definition of it, I went home and I was like, oh my God, I'm fucking queer. This finally makes sense for me because like lesbian never resonated. I always felt gay because I'm such a gay boy, you know? And like, then finally, like, this was like, wow. Like, so this is huge. So it's, it's amazing to hear you talk about that opening and how just in our conversation that opened me, you know? So like, imagine like I know all the other people that you've opened. So it's just really cool to see that. Well, I think that that's so important, right. For us to share our stories, to share how we get to the place that we are and, you know, like how we identify and why that's important. And, you know, people, I was a grand marshal of San Diego pride this last summer. And one of somebody asked me like, well, don't you wish we didn't have to have pride anymore? And I was like, hell no. (laughs) I want to have pride every day. Like I, I don't want to be isolated to this one time a year where we can be our unique, queer and fabulous selves and it be celebrated. We should be celebrating all year long who we are. And that I don't ever want something like that to go away. I don't, I don't ever want to assimilate. Like to me, the, the goal is not to be like everyone else. The goal is to be exactly who you are, mm. um, no matter who anyone else is. And I think that, you know, there's often this push, like, you know, we just want what everybody else wants. We want to be like everybody else. I think we should be, have equity. I think we should have equality. I think all of those things, but I don't think it means giving up the uniqueness of who we are as a people and the uniqueness of who we are as a person, Mm -hmm. whatever that is. Yeah. Beautiful. So you speak about the cohort. So obviously they, they were were allies for you in that moment. Who else have been some pretty transformational allies for you around this journey? Uh, My family certainly has. I mean, my, um, I have not experienced necessarily the negativity or rejection or isolation that I think other friends and that have. Um, and, but it was hard. It wasn't easy. Um, I told my, my grand, my grandmother was the one I was most worried about telling. Mm. Um, she's the matriarch, the leader of our family. And, um, I told my mom, 
um, but I hadn't really told anybody else. And I was at home for like Easter, right? Way to celebrate the resurrection. And (laughs) (laughs) so I'm sitting there and I'm talking to my aunt, who was like my cool aunt, right? Like she had gay friends and so I was like, oh, I could tell her and she'll be cool with it. I told her, she gets up and she's like, we got to tell your grandmother. Goes and gets my grandmother and brings her back in the room and is like, tell her. And I was like, oh. So I tell my grandmother and literally the first words out of my grandmother's mouth were that I was going to die of AIDS. And I was, it was like, it was like a, a stake through my heart. Like mm-hmm. it would. I had never, I never raised my voice to my grandmother. And I was basically was like, that's ignorant. I can't believe you're saying something like that. And we kind of had a back and forth about it. And I went home, I went back to school because I was living in San Diego at the time. And I wrote her a letter and said, look, this is who I am. Believe me, I have looked in the mirror and said, why do I, why am I this way? But it's who I am and it's who I want to be. And um, you know, I had thought about taking my own life and like, it was just, you know, we're, we're told that we can, we're not okay. If yeah. We're different. And, um, so I wrote this letter to her. She photocopied my letter, wrote her own letter of how much she loved me and nobody better treat me any different and sent it to my whole family. Like people I hadn't seen in years. And it wasn't that. I think she kind of, she's now become like my fiercest ally. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, cause I think she thought about her own experience uh, as a woman, as a woman of color growing up in El Paso, Texas, where when she got on the bus, it said colored and Mexicans in the back. Mm-hmm. It was Mexican, right? She had to write in the back of the bus. Um, and so <clears throat> she kind of compared her own struggle with the struggle of LGBTQ people. And she has like totally, I mean, I learned my, I learned how to organize from her. I learned what it meant to stand up for who I was from her. And um, I think she, she went on, cause she had her own journey, right? At the same time, it was, that has, she's become my like fiercest advocate and ally, like I said, and calls me and asks me about things. Is always pestering me if I'm going to bring somebody home <laughs> after me to have a baby now. And I'm like, I'm getting too old for that. Um, <laughs> but she's just become very transformational. And then, um, you know, like as, you know, she's been my entire life, like my touchstone, right? Mm. So, you know, she taught me how to jump rope. She taught me how to dance, right? Mm. And I, um, like that she's just been with me on this entire journey. And in that moment where I felt like I was losing it, right. She reinforced her love for me in a way that through her own, her own process really kind of buoyed me and lifted me up. And so, you know, my, and because she did that, the rest of my family (laughs) fell in line. (laughs) Um, And I have a really great relationship with my family as a result of it. Um, the, I know, and then there have just been other people along the road who took a chance on me. Like the, um, the training that I went to, uh, the reason I went to it was because the executive director of the pride organization where I was a volunteer said, Hey, you should come with me to this thing. And I was like, okay. And I went and I met people from the task force and they talked about this program and I applied and I got it. And it mm-hmm. just like, 
And there, uh, there's someone who works at the LA LGBT Center named Kurt Shepard, who at the time was working at the task force and did their campus organizing project and encouraged me to apply, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I hadn't received those kinds of like small words of encouragement, I would have never been able to do all of this stuff. And it, um, you know, it's those, I think it's the small things, the small pieces of encouragement, um, the small pats on the back, right? The, the conversations that you have that you don't know are going to lead to something bigger and they eventually do. Like those are, so there are lots of people in my life who, um, who have done that and who have really um, pushed me in that direction and have been incredibly supportive. Um, you know, I think in as queers, uh, we may not have invented the concept of chosen family, but we certainly have perfected it. Yeah. That the people that are in our lives, whether they're related by blood or not, who we call family are very important. And, you know, I have uh, my, my, when my grandmother asked me, how come I don't have any kids? I was like, Oh, abuelita, I have a lot of kids. (laughs) (laughs) I may not, they may not be my, uh, you know, from my body. (laughs) But, you know, I think, you know, we take, we come across folks, we take folks in, we, we build each other up. And, you know, I have a lot of folks who, you know, call me mother who are of all genders. Right. Um, and nobody calls me daddy, though. So I'm getting older, my gray hair, that could happen soon. <laughs> but it's, you know, just the, that kind of concept of being there for other people. Like, the, you know, people hell have held the door open for me it is my responsibility to hold the door open for others. Mm, That's beautiful. What practices or rituals or teachings do you think has been the most beneficial for you? Well, I love mindfulness practice. Mm. Um, I learned it at this place called Rockwood, the Rockwood Leadership Institute, where I've been a fellow. And every session starts with a couple things. When you start the week, um, you kind of bring an artifact, something that's important to you. So in one of my trainings, I brought the picture of my cohort from 1995, mm-hmm. why that's meaningful to me. But we start every session with mindfulness practice, which is just a, a moment, right? To center yourself, yeah. to take in some deep cleansing breaths, to you know hold a soft gaze, um, and you know, I, you know, people say clear your mind. I don't necessarily think of it as clearing my mind and as much as, as it is organizing my thoughts mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and understanding what's important to me about being in that particular place at that particular time. Um, but it has really centered me. Um, and I do it every day. I do it um, in the morning when I get up. Um, I do it at night and it, at night it takes a little bit different. I, I think some people would say like, I pray at night, but to me, it's kind of a, um, it's more of a kind of review of the day and what I kind of want to do next and kind of what I hope for. Yeah. Um, and it has been really special and positive, um, for me to be able to do that. Um, and it, it really, um, it took me a, a minute to kind of get used to doing it, but now I can't really 
live without it. And it is like, it's just a few minutes. It's not even like it's, I'm not sitting down for half an hour and doing anything. It is really just a moment that is to myself that is about me. Um, and that is about the day that I'm about to go through. And it has really been very positive for me uh, around that. Um, and spending time, sorry about that. Um, and spending time and just <clears throat> having a chance to retreat from the busyness of the world, the busyness of the world. Yeah. About myself. Yeah, I appreciate hearing that because when I, in, in CIJ, I teach, we teach mindfulness and meditation as a part of the course. And for people who've never meditated, you know, that's what I try and bring them back to. Like this, just this idea of being mindful of just sitting for a moment yeah. and collecting collecting your thoughts and just being with yourself. So I love being being conscious of the breath in your body, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and what that does for you. Like one of the things I love to do is I love to scuba dive and I love to scuba dive because it is something I can't do alone. I need to do it with somebody else, but it's completely nonverbal. Like I can't talk on underwater, but I am most conscious of my breath in my body when I'm there and surrounded by the vastness that is nature and that is the universe and that in, you know, a tiny like square inch on a coral reef is a complete universe of life. Mm. Like that to me is the, um, like it's, it's just the ultimate moment to be present and, um, and it has helped me throughout my life, both personal and career-wise, to just take that moment to reflect and be in it, be in it right? And to be present and, and to do that with other people. Like, you know, the mindfulness is one thing, but it has really taught me that when I am with other people, that I am present with them, right? That there's so easy to be distracted on your phone, on your computer, right? Whatever. It, there's so many distractions, but to be mindful and to be present with people that you care about, I think is the ultimate gift. Beautiful. I love that. Amen. You're preaching my, you're preaching my language. <laughs> there's, there's nothing more humbling and um, nature. It's like the ultimate, like present maker, you know, you re- realize like how small we are when we are in myth, you know, like, and you talk about scuba diving. I remember um, snorkeling in Santorini and feeling like, oh my God, you know, like this is just like magnificent. It, it was like the co- most quiet that I'd ever experienced. It was just such, such being in the moment. And nature does that. The same thing happens when I go snowshoeing. It's just like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. When I've gone skiing and I'm on the trail by myself, like the silence is deafening. Like it, it is. It is, you're like, what, what is, what's happening, right? It is just like, and just to be in like, to see the majesty of all of that is, it's breathtaking. It's breathtaking. Yeah. All right. So let's talk music. You were talking, so power anthem, you're feeling shitty, feeling like beat up a little bit or something and you need something. What do you go to? What's your go-to power anthem? My go-to power anthem <laughs> is, Soul, is Soul Survivor by Beverly Knight. 
I love that song. I, you know, there's a group, I have a group of friends who we love and adore that song. Um, and it's not that old. It's, you know, a little old, but it, but that like, that when that backbeat comes on and I hear it, I just am like at another level. <laughs> <laughs> It is just like a, you know, like she's one one of the lyrics that she says, I'm a soul survivor. Um, I'm a soul reviver. Mm. Like this, like, yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like my fan goes crazy. Right. (laughs) I'm nuts. That song. um, When that song comes on, but it, it makes me happy. Like I, if I need a little pick me up, yeah, yeah, I throw it on and it puts me in a better place. So speaking of happiest, what do you feel makes you happiest and why? I am the I am the most happy when I am surrounded by people I care about on the dance floor. And mm. I know that that might sound like for I think some people people know that I love to dance, right, and that I love to be on the dance floor, living my life on the dance floor. But when I am in that moment that I'm surrounded by people I care about and, you know, we're just enjoying that moment together. It is, it's liberating. Mm -hmm. Um, And in particular in queer spaces, it is, uh, you know, it it is, there are outward expressions. Like people make fun of certain parties, like all Mm -hmm. they are, it's like, drug-induced, blah, 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 whatever. Mm-hmm. But I don't see them that way. I, I see them as, and I see them the way I see, like when I produce the Creating Change Conference or when I produce a space that is empowering and that people can come together and for the first time they let go of the things that we carry around with us all the time as queer people. You know, if we reach out and touch our partner's hand or lean in for a kiss and we're in public, is someone going to call us a name? Is someone going to beat us up? Is someone going to murder us? Those mm-hmm. are real things that yeah. go through our heads. Um, and in those moments when you're, when you let that go and you're on the dance floor and you're just surrounded by this loving group of people who that's who you want to be with, like, those moments are, I, I, I feel very fortunate to have had many, many of those moments. And like, when I want to think about where I want to be, like, that's where I want to be. Right. Like, you know, all the political work and everything I do, all that, my family, all that is very important to me. But if I want to go to a, my happy place, mm-hmm. right, that is the happy place that I want to be. Like, I remember even, like I just remember moments, right, where they're just fun, like you popping out in a wig <laughs> with a white bird and a beard. <laughs> like, me, yeah. like, or I think we were at, I forget where we were at, white party, or we were in Miami, but it wasn't winter party. And there was like a group of us dancing, you, me, Stephen Massey, um, who else was there? And maybe Mickey was spinning. Um, but it was just those kinds of like, you know, you're just in the moment and yeah. you're in the moment with each other and you're having a good time. And like, it's just, those are, that is, that, that's kind of what makes me happy. And, you know, people, people, you know, as I've gotten older, people are like, aren't you a little old to be mm-hmm. like, yeah. 
no, you are going to have to drag my cold, dead corpse off that fucking dance floor. I agree. It's like, yeah, I mean, age, good music doesn't expire and the dance floor doesn't either. You know what I mean? That's right. Like, you know, you, and hey, I I can still outlast most of those young things. Yeah, you can. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you think that most people would be really surprised to learn about you? Really surprised to learn about me. Um, <clears throat> that I that I know most people will not believe this is I am really painfully shy, mm-hmm. and that in social situations, um, I it almost it paralyzes me. So if I'm if I am like, if, it, if I'm at winter party and it's my party or I'm a creating change or I'm at work and I know I'm the shit, I could talk to anybody, mm. right? I could talk to anybody. But if I'm just somewhere and at a club and I'm there with my friends and I'm just dancing and I see someone I think I want to talk to, I won't do it. Like I, I get very kind of painfully shy in that regard. And, um, so I think people would be surprised by that and surprised that I actually enjoy spending time by myself as, you know, as social and stuff as I am. Um, when I moved to San Francisco, I stopped traveling as much as I did before. And the thing that I loved about the travel that I did was I would often have moments where I was just by myself. Mm. And uh, when I went to San Francisco, that wasn't the case anymore. Um, and uh, I was with people all the time. And um, and so I had some flight credits and I went to Hong Kong by myself <laughs> and I was only gone from like a Thursday to a Monday, mm. but I did it because I just wanted to be alone. Like I wanted to have some of that time to recharge and to kind of think and reflect and, you know, just do some stuff by myself. So I think probably those are the two things people would probably be most surprised about. So what do you feel, do you think is the biggest lesson in remixing yourself and your situations? I think the biggest lesson is to be open to new ideas Mm. um, and to try and to embrace failure. Yeah. Because failure, I think, is very important. I think most people shy away from it and it causes them not to experience kind of the full everything right like um you know the one of my former job when i worked at the gale foundation in colorado that failure was one of our values as an organization and i was like when i was first introduced i was like why is that and i the gale foundation was founded by a software entrepreneur and his tim gill his you know he had tried several times to start a company and failed and it wasn't until he finally got and invented what's called Quark Express that he like his business took off. And so he really embraced failure. He used to say that if we were not trying enough new things, then we weren't being innovative. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we weren't, if we weren't failing enough, we weren't trying enough new stuff. So I really took that to heart. And I think since then, um, you know, I really tried to do things that I don't know if I'm good at or not, um, but I'm going to try it and see. Um, I've tried to also adapt that to my personal life. Um, like getting back to earlier, what I said about being shy, 
is there have been situations where I really tried to force myself and I've really kind of used this like, well, if you're going to embrace failure, then it also means embracing failure in your personal life too. Personal life too yeah. right? And it's a struggle, right? It's hard. And, um, but I think that that is really uh, something that's important to think about, you know, in terms of remixing your world is like, are you trying enough new stuff? And if yeah. you're not, why are you not? And if you're afraid of failure, try to embrace it. My, one of my favorite quotes from Yanla Van Zandt, do you know who that is? So one of my favorite quotes from her is, um, if if your dream isn't big enough to have pee running down your leg, your dream ain't big enough. <laughs> That's <laughs> the truth. That's the right. uh, So speaking, fast speaking forward. Of, speaking of quotes, on my desk, yeah. I, have this, um, I have this Oscar Wilde quote, be yourself, everyone else is already, already taken. taken. <laughs> yes, that is one of my favorites. <laughs> I have that in the bathroom, actually. In one of the bathrooms, yeah. Um, I do love that one. So, okay, fast forward 20 years from now, what is Russell doing? Well, I don't, I don't know if I want to, like, retire okay. in the traditional sense. I mean, in 20 years, I'll be in my 60s. Um, and I want to be doing what I love. Um, I want to be surrounded by people that, I love and care about. Um, I don't know that I'll be working like a traditional full-time job by then. Um, but I want to be active in some way. Like I actually had a, a conversation recently getting back to like these kind of moments you have with people. And we were talking about kind of their, uh, their retirement age. And we were talking, somebody asked them in the group that we were in if they were going to retire. And he said, I'm never going to retire. I might be do something different, but I don't ever see myself just not doing anything, right? Or just uh, not kind of actively engaged in the community or in the things that I'm passionate about and that it's just more of a transition. So, I mean, I, I think of that and I think of um, like, what do I want to do next? And, um, you know, and how will I get there? I mean, I think about those things, but in terms of like where I want to be in 20 years, I want to be healthy. I want to be happy. I want to be surrounded by the people that I love and that love me. Um, and I want to be engaged in something that fulfills and fills my heart. Hmm, beautiful. So when it's all said and done and you look back on it all, what do you think it's all been about? This whole thing called life. Uh, I, to steal a phrase from Oprah, I, <laughs> I think it really is about living your best life mm. uh, and that doing things that you are passionate about. And for me, making sure and doing it in service to others. Mm. I feel like as I look back, I have led a blessed life. And sure, there have been times I've struggled and I come from a working class family and, um, you know, there are times I've fallen down, but I've gotten up. And I think that uh, the thing that I learned from my grandparents early was that we have a, we have a responsibility to our collective community and that 
our lives should be in service to that community. And so, you know, as I look back on my life, I want to know and believe that the things and decisions that I have made are in service Mm. to that community. And it's why I do the work I do. Um, It's why I participate in the activities I participate in because I want to be a part of something that's bigger than me. Um, And that I want my legacy. Um, (laughs) We did this exercise last year with some of my colleagues around like, what do you want your tombstone to be, right? Or what do you want your epitaph to be? And mine was, she lived her life on the dance floor and did some good stuff too. (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) And that's it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That is awesome. Well, it has been so great to have you. So is there anything else you want to share with the people that are listening and tell us what you're up to maybe coming up? Sure. Well, um, I don't know. I I, I hope to see many of you uh, on the dance floor um, at one of the many events I'll probably be at, White Party, Purple Party. (laughs) Are you going to Purple? Yeah, I'm going to Purple. Oh my God, I wasn't going to, but now maybe I'm going to have to. I love Purple Party. I I, I do, I mean, I do, you know me with Purple, that's my family. It is a little intimate affair, I love that. Are you doing song, are you getting a song crime? No, not this year. Have you ever done that? No, I want to go. So oh. I, I want to go when you're spinning. So if you spin next year, I would Maybe next that. year. Um, because usually, so it's been two years since I've played. So maybe next year then. Um, but it, it is incredible. Yeah, that, that would be, be so much fun. Yeah, that would be so fun. So the one thing that's coming up that I'm going to be doing is I, um, on behalf of the San Francisco AIDS Foundation, I oversee the AIDS life cycle, which happens in early June, um, a 545 mile bike ride from San Francisco to Los Angeles that benefits the foundation and the Los Angeles LGBT Center. Um, so I uh, will be on that. Um, Are you riding? I'm not riding because okay. I have work to work to do around it. Right. Uh, but I'll be at camp and um, uh, and there the entire week. I'm really excited about it. I went, I was on it last year, which was amazing. Mm. And the show I'll get to go on the full thing because I am working here now. Um, but so I'll be excited. I'll be on that. So if you are, if you're on the ride or supporting the ride, uh, look for me to say hello. I'll probably be bopping and dancing around somewhere. Um, or, you know, hopefully I will see folks uh, on the dance floor. Yes. And we'll post, um, you'll give me your socials and all of that. And I'll post all of that in the show notes where everybody can find you. And I definitely will. All of that good stuff. All right. Russell, I loved having you. Thank you so much. Thanks for giving me this opportunity. I love it. And I'm so glad you're doing it. Thank you. So I will see you on a dance floor soon. Yes, my dear. Bye-bye. I love you. Love you too. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. So there you have it, my conversation with Russell Roybal. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Perhaps something stood out to you and you'd like to share. If so, head on over to our Facebook group and let us know. I'll make sure I link all of Russell's information in the show notes so that you can follow him. Thank you so much for listening. I'm glad you spent some time with me today. And if you have any questions, feedback, or topics that you'd like to be discussed, shoot me an email at podcast at remixyourworld.com.